Welcome to the Success on Purpose podcast, an inspirational resource supporting you to live on purpose. And now your host, success mentor, Melanie Taylor. Welcome, welcome. We are up to number five of our Success on Purpose podcast, an inspirational resource supporting you to live on purpose. My name is Melanie Taylor. I'm the Chief Energy Officer of Success on Purpose. And today I'm so, so delighted to be interviewing and spending some beautiful quality time with the amazing Gordon Jenkins. And hello. Here go, go. Yes. I'm going to say hello. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I, I love that chief energy purse. I love those words. Well, that's what it all's about, isn't it? Is bringing that right energy into what we do because that's when we get the different outcomes. Yeah. And it's been authentic along the way doing it. We haven't known each other a long time, but I know the time we've spoken that the energy you bring is real, right? It's you. So when we get the chance to meet in person, it's still going to be you. And I think that's really, really important through this that we just be our true selves. Mm. Thank you. Yes. And that has taken me a lot to learn who is my true self. Because I don't know if you were like this, but I used to always put hats on. So when I was with one group of people, I'd be this certain person. When I put these people, that's like I had this hat on. And then I just was like, I don't want to be like this anymore. I just want to have the one hat on and it doesn't matter who I'm with. I'm just going to show up exactly the same person. So it brings so much freedom. I think it is. And I think, you know, I came from a very typical corporate type background in the finance world where you had to be dressed like a certain person, act like a certain person. Dare I say, a very, um, very at those days, shows me age now, a very male dominated area um, group. Let me even go further, very white male dominated area. So I'm sure I remember that word for American firm that came out here and um, they went to do some videoing and the dealing room was full of white males and they wouldn't do any video because there was no diversification and you know you have to fit a certain box you know you have to fit a certain skull and it, the system forces you to do that and i think real entrepreneurial people and real entrepreneurs or business people people with a lot of creativity innovation don't like being put in a box they need that freedom to go and sometimes it's not you that's the problem it's the system that's the problem because the systems are very one-dimensional view mm -hmm. of the world wow so what got you out of that box out of that system my big mouth normally as you say people ask me what i think and, you know i'm not a yes person and if i think someone yeah you know, i call bs when i see it i'm very black and white don't get me wrong i worked for some amazing financial services firms financial businesses from a cultural perspective allowed the creativity and the innovation with my wife when she was very sick you know i probably worked one day two days in six months and no one ever asked me for a leaf form or anything like that, they knew how important it was. At the end of the day, I think the world of corporate and me clash because I want to move quicker. I want to move quick. I'm highly accountable. I don't like doing things just because it's the way we've done things in the past. Just because we've got to here doesn't mean the path that we've taken to get to here is the right path to go forward. But we continue thinking that way. And uh, there's that urge inside you, you talked about the energy. That urge inside me goes, there's more to life than this. I had a successful career in London in finance markets, and I knew there was always more, there was more to it. And Australia I found was was that more to it. So yeah, that's where I am today. Still on the journey. Yeah, still, the still, journey still, that never still, ends. And as we talk about it's never a straight line. It'd be boring if it's a straight line. I can play I compare the journey to be a game of snakes and ladders, right? You're never off the board game. 
but it's up and down and even though you go down you know you're going to get up again yes it's just whether you're going to roll that dice or jump on that ladder and that's what life is about yeah that's so true and that's why I really wanted to interview you today Gordon because I know you've had life challenges and I'd really like to talk a little bit more about your wife as well and also the contribution you're making as a result of that and you are a person that could have gone down Mm -hmm. but you choose to keep rising and going up the ladder with those life challenges so would you mind sharing a bit about, I suppose, yeah, your wife and your journey? Because I just found that such an inspiration and having been a palliative care nurse, it really touched my heart as well. And now being a business person, and I love how you're really living life on purpose. So my wife, Wendy, we were both in the corporate world. Wendy worked for Shell. I worked for UBS and NAB, and we were on our global career path, right? We had everything planned out, typical corporate path, go to Singapore, go to America, end up in The Hague, I retire. She'd end up working in something HR. She writes writing, she likes writing policy. And uh, I stay at home and cook because I love cooking. Right. Now that, that was the job and look after the kids. And she got sick. And short story is that Wendy needed a double lung transplant. And in December the 18th, 2006, Wendy had a double lung transplant. Very fortunate. She had an illness called primary pulmonary hypertension, which very few people have heard about it. But if you're a male over 50 and you're taking a little blue pill called Viagra, that's basically what Viagra was invented to do, but they found out it does other things. It opens up all your blood vessels. When I say open up all your blood vessels, it opens up all your blood vessels. <laughs> and now we can make more money doing something else than this drug. Uh, look, a long story short, you know, when you have a transplant, and in particular a lung transplant, you're, the average lifespan is seven years. That means some people don't make it off this operating table and some people live a lot longer. When you didn't have a very good couple of years coming out of the transplant, but around about year six, We've stuck with this average. This is the thing about the system. This average is seven years. I'm on six years. Are we going to live? I'm going to go. I'm not going to live. So we had a holiday of a lifetime. And the idea was literally, we're going to go away on holiday. Wendy's not going to survive the following year. And her super and her uh, insurance will pay for the holiday. So we went to France and Italy and we had a fantastic holiday. Six-star holiday, first class, little nonna's cafe. It was amazing. And we ended up in this place called Castello Banfi in Tuscany. And throughout our journey together, there's always been little rubber ducks involved in our journey because we don't have kids. And we're at the top of Castello Banfield. It was a beautiful place in Tuscany. And Wendy said, she said, we need to do this together. We need to make sure every single day counts because we don't know what's in front of us. And we called our little dog Banfield. He hasn't got Banfield, but I will send you a little Banfield. Oh, okay. There's a little rubber duck with a Banfield. Came back to Australia and I couldn't get a job. And I was positively discriminated against. I was positively discriminated against because I was white, male, and over 40. So everything that had the discrimination when I started my career was now, that excelled my career was now coming to bite me on the backside. Bearing in mind, I wasn't involved in either of that discrimination. So much so that I really couldn't get a job. And I'm thinking, how am I going to help Wendy? How am I going to get the pills for Wendy? How am I going to get the pills? How am I going to get the medicine for Wendy? Till I took a drive over... And for those that live in Melbourne, the Westgate Bridge. And I took a few drives on the Westgate Bridge to the point where the cow stopped at the top of the Westgate Bridge. And my mind was telling me that the only way to survive, the only way to keep Wendy was to jump. Because if I jump, I might get insurance. Wendy gets insurance and that's her. You know, she's looked after. And obviously I didn't jump because I'm here. I got to the bottom of the Westgate Bridge. And because I didn't jump, because I saw that little rubber duck on the car seat, 
And it said, reminded me of that time when he said, no matter how bad things get, we'll always do things together. We'll make every day count. So I got off the bridge and called a friend. That was the point where I realized I couldn't go back into corporate world. I had to find something. I had to find my own journey. The corporate world just was not providing me the flexibility or the income to do what I wanted to do and to look after Wendy. And not only did I get into what I'm doing now, but through the journey with Wendy, what we realized is no matter how much money you have, it's not going to get you a lung transplant. It needs medical really is to get your lung transplant. And we suddenly changed from being cash rich and passion poor to being very passion rich. On the outset of that, we set up a foundation, a medical foundation called Longitude, which is now one of the world leading medical research foundations. And we fund what we class as embryonic research into lung transplant rejection. If you understand why something rejects, you can go back to the very beginning and understand why things will match better. And we can give people hope. And it's not just about care, it's not just about transplant people, but it's about carers. Because the depression that Wendy gets gone through is different to the depression that I've gone through. But everyone still rings up and goes, How's Wendy? How's Wendy? How's Wendy? And no one says, How's Gordon? Even today, I was on the phone to the hospital talking about Wendy because she's not doing too well. And no one actually asked me how I'm coping. Right? Because I'm a carer and we're supposed to be fine. We're supposed to be fine. In fact, when Wendy's in hospital, she's actually getting the best care because. She's got all the nurses and the doctors around and here's me at home by myself. So, and this is about crying fair, you know, we, we, the, the brilliance of what we've been doing in Longitude and, you know, when we talk about what does success mean in business and what does success mean in life. Early this year in July, Wendy received an OAM, Australian Order Medal from the last Queen's birthday for the work that she'd done in, that we've done, she's done in medical research for lung transplantation. That in itself has elevated longitude, it's elevated Wendy. Into a new corporate world of people wanting to know what's this longitude about. We haven't made any money out of it. We haven't done anything else. It's just one of those things. That's the journey today. The journey today, I, I don't know. I don't know what part of my day is work and what part of my day is play and what part of my day is foundation work. I just have a day and today is about just making sure that I continue to be the best version of me every single day. When I go to bed, I'm a one foot forward than when I started in the morning and yeah and I've been the best version and that's where we are today it's inspiring you know I get a massive buzz out of my day wow thank you Gordon you've made me cry that's beautiful <laughs> I use I'm usually the one crying I, <laughs> I thought that, that, took, that, that, that took a bit to hold it back uh, you can tell where you can tell where it was getting a bit nervous because it went very very quick in the speaking <laughs> Well, yeah, but that, that that is, you know, that is like what that five or six minutes. There's 26 years just plugged into that. Mm. Right? But it's my journey is my journey. Your journey is your journey. Everyone's journey is, is their own journey. And people say, you know, I don't have an interesting story. I don't have anything to tell. But no, there's only one Gordon Jenkins. Well, there's only one more than me. And I have to tell my story. And you know, if I can tell my story and he stops one person jumping in front of a tram or a train or jumping off a bridge. It makes one person call up someone, the friend. If it want, makes someone go, "Hey, I heard this person," and we get some corporate response. If one person comes up and calls me and says, "Hey, Gordon, can we have a chat?" That's it. Right? I'm not trying to solve the world. I'm not trying to be the next Elon Musk. In fact, I don't want to be the next Elon Musk. Full stop. I've got no interest. You know, my view is that there's eight billion people in the world. Four billion won't like me, and that's absolutely okay because I probably won't like that four billion either. And out of the four billion that's left, I only need a very small percentage. 
too like me. I don't need 150 million people on Instagram. I don't want 150 million people. On it. I just need people that are on a journey of being their best version, being great humans. And to be, you know, as you say, to be successful and be with purpose. Thank you for that beautiful share. You touched on three core elements there that I'm very passionate about. The first one is mental health, mental illness and suicide awareness. Having been quite depressed myself over the years and having suicidal ideations, because we all do get into those down periods of times. And I think the thing was that you think you're wrong or it's not norm but everyone you know lots of people go through that and it's so beautiful that we can actually you know talk about it and know that there's support out there and you know and just that beautiful ripple effect because and my dad also attempted suicide and there was so much shame in that like it was not talked about for such a long time and now I asked his permission if I can share about it and he said yes and from that I do lots of speaking gigs and it's made such a difference in so many people's you know lives so thank you for bringing that the other thing I want to add that you know I found it difficult when I was talking to someone that I'd go in and see a, a registered call psychiatrist but no it's a psychologist isn't it a psychologist well the end of the wanted to know more about the transplant than about what I was going through and being a bloke I, mean, I don't know how to didn't have then how to let loose and how to talk about it but what I found was you know you don't always have to find the professional to talk to you need to find someone who will talk to you and who will listen to you. And what gets me in Australia right now, what gets me in Australia, you know, forget, oh, are you okay? Now? When people say to you, how are you? Right? That's it. it comes off the tongue so easy that people don't actually, they don't actually want a response. And I remember I was at a supermarket and this like, checkout girl, she like, how are you? I don't know, had half a shopping trolley and I ended up talking to her about my day and she's going, oh my bloody God, what's happened here? And I've got this big queue and I carried on talking. I was just downloaded on her. And at the end of it, I went, I've got the bags. And I went, oh, damn, I forgot the milk. So I've gone out to get the milk. And as I come back, she's seen me coming back and she's put the clothes sign on the laneway because she didn't want me to come back. <laughs> but if someone's going to ask, if you're going to say to someone, how are you? Then have the decency to stop and invest that time into them and i was at a lunch last week with nathan and nathan buckley was speaking and he said he always stops to have a photo with a fan and the reason being that because you're going to give them the best 15 seconds of their life at that moment in time and that really struck me we as coaches as mentors as executives as people who've experienced that people look on to right we're trying to give people the best experience of their lives we're trying to give them improve people's lives so unless we prepare to actually invest the time, don't ask the question. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. Is it fair to say that people don't have the skills to manage that question? And that's because I think people feel like you've got to solve, we've got to solve everyone's problems, but actually all we need to do is listen. Yeah, and we don't know how to listen. Mm. We're not... We're trained on, and men are brilliant. Men are brilliant doing this for women. Men are brilliant at this, and men are brilliant at telling women how they should be doing things. We know this, we know all this rest stuff, but we don't know how to listen. We just don't know how to listen. And I say it's listening with your eyes is as important as listening with your ears. Because sometimes it's what they're not saying in their facial expressions that means more than what they actually say, but we're not trained in it, no. And that brings another beautiful point that you've taken me back to, which is another reason I got really teary was caring for the carers. Yep. Because when I was a palliative care nurse, 
I would spend so much time with the patient and then it would be time to go. So I might be with my patient for one hour and then it's time to go because I've got to go off to the next patient. And then, of course, the carer needed some time. And then I'd have what's called the letterbox chat. Then I would be withdrawing, thinking, oh, my God, I've got to go. I've got to go to my next patient. But all that the carer needed was they needed some time. They needed some love. They needed some safety. And they needed to be heard, listened to, and understood. And finally, I realized what I was doing. I was like, oh, my God, I'm not being present. And actually, the most important person became the carer. Because if we weren't looking after the carer, then they couldn't look after the patient and we couldn't actually leave them at home. So it is a very important shift to actually care for the carer and give them some time so that then they can keep doing the amazing work. But as you say, they quite often do get overlooked in the scheme of things. We get overlooked because, you know, I I know when you come into hospital, the medical would want to look after the patient and everything else. But what support network is there for this? And, you know, I think in general as humans that we, we have friends but, you know, the, you know, I think the Americans are really good at this. Americans build that ecosystem around them, that support network around them. Though, you know, it's a personal coach, a psychologist, a psychiatrist, the life coach, the executive coach. They have that network around them that when they call upon the person, they know which hat they're wearing and who they're going to for that problem. In Australia, we're not very good at it. In Australia, in fact, we're, we're very poor. We're, we're extremely poor. And I do it. I do a game with clients to ask them to find out who the 10 famous people are. And people struggle with it because people don't know. When you go home to your loved one, you don't take the baggage home to your loved one. You take your baggage to someone else. Right? But we don't have, in Australia, we're not good at building that network and having that network. I don't know what it is about us. It's almost like we want to play on the being vulnerable instead of playing on being non-vulnerable. So we're playing on about being in that dark area instead of playing about how we get out of that dark area. And we don't have, you know, we're not good in Australia building that, building that support network around us that can carry us around and knowing that when we want to use that person, we use that person for a specific task. They're not your 24-7 handyman person that you go to for absolutely everything. And I think that's really important. Someone asked me yesterday, you know, what's the biggest success I've had in my life? I said, it's creating that network, creating that personal network that I know who to call upon with my mental health. I know who to call upon with my business. I'm a business coach. I've got four different business coaches doing different things to help me grow. The people I want to go out for a beer with, the people I want to play sport with, they're all different people and they've got different purpose. I love them all differently. Some of them I don't particularly like all the time, but that's what friends are for. That's what people are for. And I think that it's a really important thing that whether you're an entrepreneur in business or business owner or in business or working for someone that you have that support network that helps you along the way yeah so well said it's funny how I think the more in inverted commas successful you become the more support you actually have the more coaches the more mentors the more people you have on your team because you realize how much that we don't know so why do you think as Australians that we lack that ability to open up to more support I don't I've said for a long time about Australia is that we are a very creative and innovative country, but when you find something that works, you need to take it offshore because that's where it all happens. I think it's our mindset in Australia. I find our mindset in Australia is very much about how much does something cost as opposed to what will happen when I invest. And I think that's the difference. When I go overseas with my clients overseas, right, when they're talking to me, 
when they're talking to you, they get who we are and they already know that we can, they know that we can help. They're then saying about, you know, how much does something cost? Oh, what, what is it? What's the investment? Because they can already see that they're already looking future into the future to see the return. Whereas in Australia, we're very focused on that. We've got that fogginess, that noise of looking about tomorrow. We're not looking far. And I don't understand why we're not looking far, because in some areas, we're extremely entrepreneurial, right? We're buying houses now because we know that the property prices are going to be our bread and butter, our core foundation for the next 20, 30 years, right? We have the most mobile phones, so we adapt to technology, we adapt to that. But some things about us is that when it comes to self, we're somehow lagging about it. And I don't understand why, because we're very very a multicultural society. Right? We're not perfect by any means, but compared to other countries I've lived in and worked in, you know, we're pretty damn good, all right? All right? And we are quite a wealthy country, so we've got the opportunity. Maybe it's because you know, people stay at home till the 26, 27, 28, 29, 30. In all the other countries I know that work well, people leave home at 16, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. And from that, you, you get to know life and what being in work, being on the streets is a lot more about. But in Australia, it's one of those countries which still people still don't get where we're happy to have people stay at home. Mm, interesting. Do you think that we don't value ourselves enough to then see the value? We've got an easy street because mums and dads let us stay. <laughs> the generation before, I think there's a different mindset when you have to leave home, when you leave home to fend yourself at university, when you leave home because you join the armed services, when you leave home because of whatever's gone on at home and you've got to fend for yourself when you know that you know you've got baked beans on toast for the next five days and you're crack you might put a fried egg on it and be really luxurious if you want to put some chicken on it you're going to go and earn some more money whereas we're living at home we've got all the comforts you know we buy a car and we buy a house you don't understand what it means to rent and scramble i say rent, very few people do the majority of the population don't so i don't think we put enough high we, we put a lot of emphasis on degrees and learning from textbook Whereas compared to the rest of the world, the rest of the world puts a lot of emphasis on life and le life learnings. And we don't have the same degree of life learnings. Mm, yes, that makes a lot of sense. And then not finding that appreciation for things. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting with my mastermind, we've just been going through all of our life challenges that we've been through and then identifying the skills and the strengths that we've learned from our life challenges. And one of mine was going to university. I was living in the country and I had to move to the city and it was horrible. I was so homesick. I really struggled so much, but it was such a gift because I learned the value of money. I learned to manage my money. I learned to pay my own path and I learned to support myself yeah. because all I had was me. And so, you learn things about yourself. You learn things about what you like and who you like and what you don't like and it's strange. I mean, some of the people I've met doing things that are totally outside that corporate world, if there wasn't that connection, we would probably never meet because our worlds just wouldn't, in our normal day-to-day -day worlds, just wouldn't meet. But things happen. I mean, my life is probably richer for probably being around those people that have less material things and material things. Yeah. Do you find more depth to them? No. When I was 25, trying to get in a private jet, it was pretty damn difficult. Anyone can hire a private jet for the day now and take a few Instagram photos. The breadth and the depth. You talk about the ripple. I use the language about... You know, when you throw your stone into the pond, 
how deep does it go and how many and how deep are the ripples uh, so you want it to be breadth and depth and i think that's what people do i think social media technology has created this we've become a very shallow generation yeah it's in times it's like a shift happening at the moment isn't it yeah <laughs> i say it's not sustainable it might be sustainable for another 30 40 years i think we're starting to see through it mm. i think we are starting to see through it all now or are we starting to see through it all or is it just that i'm starting to the shallowness has gone away from my network and i'm starting to see the real quality in people that are surrounding me maybe that's better way to look at it yeah and appreciating that yeah Mm, all those beautiful people. So would you like to talk a little bit more about your longitude? Longitude. Yeah, so the lung transplant is lung transplant research Australia. We showed in its longitude. Those in Australia, it's a fully registered foundation. So get the basics right. When we set this foundation up, there's a couple of things I said I want to do with it. I want it to be totally transparent. So I want it audited every single year, even though we don't have to have it audited. We do now, but we have it audited. That if you donate a dollar, you need to know where that dollar goes to. And we have a policy that no more than 15 cents in the dollar will go to administration. In fact, it runs a bit less than that. And our, our purpose is very, very specific. Our purpose is about lung stroke organ transplantation rejection, why it happens. And around that, we can do all types of different research. We can do research about fit for life, how you go back to work. And uh, we can do research around, we can fund research around actual the nitty gritty of going into the actual cells and do stuff. And the collaboration that we fund has been brilliant. So when we talk about innovation in business, one of the things that people don't understand about medical research is that a lot of these researchers are only paid year on year. So they don't actually have a long-term employment. So every single year, they've got to go and ask for funding and ask for funding. So we changed the way we did our funding. and We now commit to three-year funding projects. So we can give a researcher a member for three years that they've got a job. So straight away, the stress comes off of, to look for work and trying to look for job the research is very embryonic and we found it to be very translational what translational means is that we don't do it in the lab we take a little bit from the lab and we test it in the real life because the samples are big but there's some of the ways that i go in the research is literally world leading and it's changed the way that people think about organ not just lung but organ transplantation around the world you know we're doing things the way you can be brain dead or heart dead the way that the matching now happens has come about, has gone to another layer. If you think we were before we were on the scratching of the ocean, we've now gone into the deep, 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 deep blue sea in terms of matching. Now that's happened because people have died from an organ transplant, from a lung transplant. And people very close to us have passed away. And we now need to understand why the organ rejects. He said, well, how can we improve the matching on the other side? And then on top of that, there's all these other illnesses that affect you as well. One of the reasons why we focus so much on lungs not because of Wendy, is that lung transplantation in Australia is the leading transplantation in the world. So our success rates are the world leaders, are the world's best. We have the world's best researchers in Australia, but there's no funding. There's no state funding, there's no government funding, and there's no corporate funding for these people. So unless we do it, no one else is going to do it. And the reward is absolutely amazing. You fund someone to do a piece of research, and it's cost. $60,000, $70,000 over three years. And because of the findings of that research, they then get a grant for two, $3 million from the government because we've actually been able to prove a concept. And then that's been taken on the world stage and been recognized by 
the best transplant medical specialist around the world. I don't know how you put a dollar on it. What confuses me is I still don't understand when people know that this actually came from an initial funding by Longitude, why people don't support us. So we don't have anyone famous supporting us. We don't have a patron that's famous, that's well-known. We don't have anything like that. You don't have get lung transplants because you smoke or you've got cancer or anything like that. You get it from all different types of reasons. It is not because you are a particular colour, a particular age, a particular hairstyle, live in a particular area or anything like that. It just happens. And I think one of the biggest things in Australia people don't understand is you can only be a transplant patient when you're in ICU. So if you get killed on the street, not Tobin or Carrington, you can't qualify. If you think about it, the number of people that actually dying in ICU is very narrow. And then it's been the right people that we match. And you know, we talked about carer. One of the things that we've done a lot of work with in the early days was the person that's coming to the donor family to say, unfortunately, your loved one is not going to make it, is not going to be the same person that comes to you and asks whether you want to be, whether your loved one wants to be a donor. The two are completely different people. Yes. Whereas before it used to be, sorry, Gordon's not going to make it, by the way, do you want Gordon to be a donor in the same sense as which is <laughs> tough to do. So that's what we do. COVID was a blessing for us in some ways because it took a lot of our events virtual. So our reach is going well. We have a peer support network for people either waiting for a transplant, having a transplant or post-transplant. There's a lot of help, self-help about that. I said, we don't have any major corporate sponsoring us. We need to raise about a quarter million dollars a year to fund the research. So we know we need to be financially stable to do that. We have a proper board and we have a board that gives, it's called Rules by the Three Gs. Give, get, or get off. Right. Uh, we, we, you know, with that beginning where I said I take no prisoners, it's very black and white. <laughs> like, yeah. it's, very, it's very black and white. What that means is we don't want people on the board just so they can say they're on a board and it looks good on their CV. We expect them to do stuff. We're not always in agreements on the board. You know, we have some people very heavily involved in the research who come from a very medical perspective. I'm obviously coming from a very emotional perspective and a very commercial perspective. And together we've got to agree and gel to make sure it works. Our conversations are robust, dynamic, energetic, but again, with purpose. Mm, that's beautiful. Uh, so for our listeners, yes. what support do you need? Do you have, like, say, days where you know different fundraising events? You're looking for someone that's high profile that's got... We're looking know, for someone who's passionate. Wants, yeah, so, so anyone that's passionate that wants to give back, we're looking for this. So there's a number of ways you can do it. You can donate on a regular basis, either weekly, monthly, or annual. We have a long lunch coming up in April in Melbourne, which is just a long lunch where people get together and just have a nice lunch, and there's a bit of a raffle there. We have different types of research projects which some people want to fund themselves. So they may want to do it in their name. So it might be like the Gordon Jenkins research project. So we can do that. We have people that just want to be donors or no. So we have a couple of people that donate $20,000, $30,000 a year they don't want to be known about. You know, their name wants to be hidden. They don't want any pro. They don't want to be on the profile. It's all about. We have some bequests. I will have a conversation with anyone that we, that this has a slightest bit of interest in them, and says, "What else can I do?" Just give me a call and just say, "Hey, what can you do?" You know, it's one of those situations where someone's ten dollars a week that they're taking from their dinner money. It means as much to them as it does for a corporate to give me $20,000 or $30,000. I understand why state and federal government don't back us because you know we're a charity and can't do that. But they also have a number of different corporations and contacts that they can lead us to. 
as well. So yeah, when we open it, we fund it. Now we would love to see more research or more research projects from different type of people around the country, not universities, hospitals, that type of stuff. But if anyone wants to be involved, I mean, the virtual challenges are brilliant. The virtual challenges where you can be anywhere in the country and you can just go walk 10 kilometers and raise money for it. Mm. Uh, so it can be fun things as well as like that, you know, I'm 20 kilos overweight, so I'm not going to be running a marathon or anything stupid like that. So I did a challenge a couple of weeks ago, which was 10 kilometers a day for two days. Raised $3,000 for it. Easy. Money. So yeah, so people want to do it. It's a uh, longitude, L-U-N-G-I-T-U-D-E.com.au. Or they could just contact me and we can have a chat about it. Well, thank you, Gordon. And we'll put that below the podcast as well so people can click on it and, yeah, make contact with you. So before I ask you the three questions that we finish <clears throat> off with, I'd just love to hear, because you shared with me when we caught up last time, how Wendy's illness, the challenges, how it had made such a great impact on your life. And I loved how you're living your life now as a result of that. And I just thought that was so inspirational. Can you share with our listeners how, I suppose, the positive out of it, how this has really impacted your life and living, you know, differently, your, your level yeah. of success? So we live by the mantra, make every day count. And that is what we do. Our goal is to wake up every morning and finish the day ahead of where we started. We never go to bed with an argument, but we have it. In fact, the only thing we ever argue about is how to pack and unpack a dishwasher. But that's what we argue about. Me having worked in finance, I do all the cooking at home. And when you've been in HR and been a, Second year chef, she now does all the finances. So our roles are completely reversed. But we live life to the full. And my network, I don't have no's. There's nothing in my life that's no count, won't shun, can't do. Everything is, yes, we can do it. Yes, we can do it. How do we do it? So it's not, should we go away and celebrate Wendy's 50th birthday next year? Hopefully she doesn't mind me telling us 50 or she's going to put on Instagram anyway. It's, where are we going to go? Okay. Well, what are we do? So we have date nights. We have date nights every fortnight. And on Wednesday, where we just spend time together, it doesn't mean we don't have date nights elsewhere. And I say to clients, you know, if you don't have a partner, have a day night with a friend, but it's your commitment. And those two, three hours, your mobiles are off and you're just absolutely in focus with one person. Okay, you're absolutely in their life. And we enjoy life. You know, last week I was out on Thursday, Friday, I was, talking, you know, I was out Thursday, Friday. Best time of my life because I said, no, I'm not going to miss an opportunity. I caught up with someone that I hadn't seen for five years last Friday. He'd been following me on Instagram, didn't understand about the rubber dog, about Bamfy the dog or anything like that. And, you know, reconnect with people. And if I hadn't taken that opportunity, it would have been so easy for me to stay at home. It would have been so easy for me to stay at work. But we live our life and we do it. Why? Because I don't want to know what if. Right? I've got one life. I've got one time going forward. I've got my bucket lists. I think we're on our sixth or seventh bucket list now. And there's so much I don't know. I think I've learned a lot and experienced a lot in life. But I know that it's just so small to what is else is out there. That our life is about living. Our life, you know, we've moved away from having had the big houses, the big cars, the fast cars and everything else. So when an American asked me the other day you know, to describe where I live, I said I live in a two-bedroom apartment. He goes, well, that doesn't mean much about your success. I said, that all depends what success is. The reason I live in a two-bedroom apartment is because I don't like dust collecting houses. Well, I don't collect anything any longer, right? I'm, I've even stopped collecting wine. I started drinking the wine instead of collecting the wine. But we live life for the full. Our life is full of experiences and memories, not the size of the bank account, 
not the size of the car or the size of the swimming pool or anything like that. It, that doesn't matter to us now. I know it matters to some people, but it doesn't matter what experience. What matters to us is the experiences that we have, the life that we live together, the life that we do separately, but share the joys of together. And to wake up every day and go, you know what? Sun's risen. I'm awake. Let's get going. And just live it and just be that, be true to yourself. Be the best, that sounds like con, just be the best version of you. And I can't ask for anything else. So inspirational because I feel like we take life for granted a lot. We're very entitled about making it to next year, but none yeah. of us know whether we will or not. And it is about making every day count. Absolutely. Absolutely is. Beautiful. So before we finish off, mm. I'm just going to ask you the three questions. Oh, go on. So the first question is, what does success mean to you? Oh my God. No regrets. I think it's no regrets. I know we started off with Terry. We're going to end Terry. I lost my dad in 2018 through cancer and lost my mum in 2020, virtually two years, almost two years a day apart. And final days, we sat down and my mum's a Holocaust survivor. And we sat down and mum said to me, she knew it was the end, and she said, in and out, coming in and out of her morphine, she says, is everything okay? I said, mum, we've had a very successful life. You've given us everything we want and we have no regrets. And I think that's what success is. Success is me. I measure it with no regrets. So beautiful. Living every day. Living every yep. day. Thank you. And what words of wisdom would you say to your past self that were going through a challenging time? Don't listen to the knowers. Mm. I've learned in life that when people say no, they say no for a number of reasons. They say no because it's they're jealous or they're not ready. Or they don't think like you. Just because they don't think like you or because it's not the journey they want to do, it doesn't mean it's not the new for you. So to trust yourself. Yes. Beautiful. Thank you. It's a big theme with a lot of my, uh, the people I interview have got very similar things. And the last one is when you are ready to transition to the next life, how do you want to be remembered? Well, that, that, well that's a tough How do I want to be remembered? As a branch. As a branch. Yeah, that's bloody hell. That's gone deep, hasn't it? You tell more. <laughs> you weren't expecting that one. I connected to you because I've kind of like gone on this spiritual journey down the track in the last 18 months or so. And yeah, I look at the journey I'm on as planting a tree, as a tree growing. And when you plant a tree, you never actually see the tree because a tree takes hundreds of years to formulize. And I just want me to be a branch of that tree. So people that are on the journey with me will go past me and take it higher, take this tree higher and higher. Mm -hmm. And I will just be a branch of that tree. Oh, that's beautiful. Bloody hell, that was deep. That was about the deepest I've been in about 20 years. <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh, you, I don't know how you pulled that one out, out of me. <laughs> But I love to do, and I love tears, and I love connection, and I'm so <laughs> grateful for you sharing those beautiful stories. Thank you so much. No, it's been a slick pleasure. Thank you so much. It's been great. Oh, you're welcome, and thank you, and big love to you, big love to Wendy on thank this you. journey, and big love to all the carers out there. 
the yep. unsung heroes that are making such a difference in the life of so many. We'll put all the links below so people can donate, get more information and really support you and your journey with supporting people and, and lung transplant and getting that awareness, getting that yep. awareness, getting that awareness out there. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. I really appreciate it. If you know someone that would benefit from this episode, then I would love you to pass it on. For further information or to contact us, please visit www.successonpurpose.com.au. Sending so much love and appreciation for you.